Well, let's see. Where do we start out tonight? Okay, we heard a lot of messages. I think we'll just start in Genesis chapter 1 and go on through Revelation chapter 22. And uh, maybe even cover some of the concordance before we're done tonight. I- I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's just kind of walk through the Bible in a few verses first to get us started. Um, now, you notice, by the way, oh, and you can turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, and while you're turning there, we didn't hear anything new this week. Everything that we heard this week, we've heard before. Perhaps maybe packaged a little bit different. But we don't have any new truths. And the preacher can only preach what's already been there for a long time. And if I'm preaching truth, then what I preach is something that has been repeated. There's not something hidden in here that nobody else has ever seen. You understand that? And most of the things that decisions were made about this week, most of the time it's decisions that we've made before. Because that's the way we are. We forget, we get lazy. Matter of fact, we get uh, sometimes trying to feed the flesh a little too much. And we're commanded not to make any provision for the flesh. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, just notice a few verses. We're gonna, I'm going to look at several verses before we actually get into the message. And I'll try to keep this down to, we'll get out of here by 9 for sure. All right. And I'm kidding. We might go to 10. But notice verse 29. Verse 29. Get an idea of the heart of God as he's writing to Israel in this passage. He says, oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Do you get God's heart in that? His desire? His desire is that his people would love him so much that they would want to obey his word. Think about that. Because there are a lot of people, they say, I I believe the Bible's the word of God, but God's not that serious about it. That's what they think. After all, anything I do would be little things anyway, and God's not that concerned about those little things. Well, go to verse 31. As for thee, stand thou here by me, and I will speak unto thee all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments, which thou shalt teach them that they may... Do them in the land which I give them to possess it. Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you. Look at this. That ye may live. Now, go over to chapter 6. Notice verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land, whether ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Go down to verse 17. 
Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he hath commanded thee. And then you look at verse 18. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land, which the Lord sware unto your fathers. Go over to chapter 11. Chapter 11 of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, we'll go to a couple other books here in just a moment. Chapter 11, verse 26. Again, he gives word to them. He says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if he will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. You just, you just read there that the God of love set before his people a blessing and a curse. They decided whether they'd get the blessing or the curse. If they wanted the blessing, they obeyed God. If they wanted the curses, they didn't have to obey God. And the curses that he gave them were extremely severe. As a matter of fact, eventually they would lose the land because of that. You look at verse 32 in uh, chapter 11. And in verse 32 he says, And ye shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. Now we're not taking time to read the blessing and the blesses and the curses that he mentions. Over in chapter 12, verse 8, Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. So he warns them before they ever get into the land, don't do what's right in your eyes. He tells us twice in the book of Proverbs, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end are of the ways of death. So don't do what seems right, do what God says is right. That's the message God sought to give to the people in the Old Testament. All right, go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, Moses is dead. Joshua is the new leader. What's going to be the plan? How are we going to get the blessings of God? In verse 8 he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now, I don't have any doubt he's talking about the book of Deuteronomy because after all, that was the last book written before you get to Joshua chapter 1. So he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Why? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good Success. Go over to Psalm 119. Jumping ahead a little bit, Psalm 119. I'm going to look at several verses, just three though, I think, in Psalm 119. But in Psalm 119, verse 86, first of all, he says, All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully, help thou me. See, he can count on God's commandments. People would persecute him wrongfully. Notice verse 128. Got to read that one. 
Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Well, what's a false way? Anything that's contrary to what God says in his word, that's a false way. All right? I hate every false way. Why? Because I esteem all his precepts concerning all things to be right. If God says anything about anything, he's right about it. Period. No matter how big or little man may think that it is. Uh, Look at verse 151. 151, thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Look at 172. My tongue shall speak of thy word. For all thy commandments are righteousness. Man, that's powerful. All right, so we've got a bunch of verses here in the Old Testament. And by the way, I barely skimmed the surface. There are a whole lot of other verses that say basically the same thing that we just read in those. But let's skip on over to the New Testament. Because when you read those verses today, for some people... There are an awful lot of folks in a lot of churches who think because all those verses were in the Old Testament <clears throat> that they're really not that important, which is amazing because it's amazing how many of those verses in the Old Testament are quoted in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, at the temptation of Jesus. Jesus answers the devil. Notice what he says. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus, right at the beginning of the New Testament, lets us know every, at this particular point when Jesus said that, All the words that had been recorded for man were in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. You understand what he says right here is in the book of Deuteronomy. As a matter of fact, when he answers the other two temptations of the devil, he also quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, if you find yourself in the midst of temptation, there are verses more than likely in the book of Deuteronomy that will help you get victory. You say, but that's in the Old Testament. I think Jesus knew that. There's a reason that he used those verses, but let us move on. Go over to um, 1 John chapter 2. Go back to the back of the New Testament. And let me tell you why I'm reading from these particular verses in 1 John. I'm reading from them because 1, 2, 3 John and the book of Revelation and the book of John, the gospel of John, are books that were the last of the New Testament books to be written. They were written somewhere between 90 A.D. to 100 A.D., They were written at least 60 years after Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. And he gives us, he gives the New Testament church some definitive statements about the authority of the word of God in our lives. Notice in 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. 
Scripture says, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a what? And then he says, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Now go over to chapter 3 and look at verse 4. Now you've heard me give this to you a number of times. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is, would you underline those three words? For sin is, this is a definition verse. You say, what is sin? Well, right here, sin is, what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the what? Written 60 years after Jesus went to the cross. Some of the last verses of the New Testament to be written. And God is telling the New Testament church what sin is. This is what sin is today in 2023. It is the transgression of the law. It's clear. You can't get much clearer than that. We'll go over to chapter 5. And I want you to notice verses, oh, let's see, 2 through 4. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his suggestions. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not right. And keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. Oh, we got another definition verse. This is the love of God. What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. It just is amazing to me that so many people that say they've been saved by grace feel like they are in bondage if they need to obey God's word. When the psalmist said, we walk in liberty because we keep his statutes. There's liberty in obeying God. But wait, he's not done. Verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So here we get to one of the last books written in the New Testament. He gives us a definition of sin. And he tells us what the love of God produces in our life. It produces a desire to do his word. Now, that takes me to the text for tonight. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. After he mentions the Beatitudes, the Blesseds, you'll notice in verse 17, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Question, has heaven and earth passed? It hasn't. Guess what? The book's still good. Then he says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, whether you keep them or not has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to heaven. But it has something to do as to how you are thought of in heaven by God. If you are saying that, hey, that's, a, that's one of the least commandments, it's not important. What you're saying is, is that your opinion is more important than God's word. You are setting yourself up as the judge of God. That's wicked. This is God's word. And God's word is true in every bit of it. Now, you've heard me say that I used to wonder which ones are the least of the commandments. He doesn't tell us in the verse because that's not important. Which ones are the least or the which ones are the greatest? Because the truth is we're to obey his word. And it matters not how I think about it. I'm to walk in obedience to his word. So thank God, my works, how I walk, whether or not I obey all of God's commandments, makes no difference as far as me going to heaven or hell. But it does make a difference to whether or not I'm right with him. Remember, 1 John chapter 1 declares, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we can walk contrary to his word, then we're not fellowshipping with him. We are our own God in that case, and that's wicked. Well, that would lead us to the question then, because I think most everybody has certain things in the word of God that they think are not all that important. Now, all the word of God is important, but that doesn't stop us from thinking and you know what it is, obviously, the things that I do, they're, they're all the least of the commandments. And the things that you do that I don't do, those are the greatest of the commandments, the ones that you break. And so it is when people will come to a preacher and say, Pastor, you're always preaching on the little things. That tells me right away that's things they're breaking. That's what it tells me. They have counted whatever it is that I'm preaching on that they consider little things, uh, they have counted those things as little things because they would never do the big things. And that may be the reason why they're so far away from the Lord. But it leads me to ask the question, and this is going to be a short version. You've heard the question before. Does it really matter to God with everything that is going on in this world? I mean, you realize with almost 8 billion people on planet Earth that there is a great number of people that are murdered every single day? Every day in this world, people are murdered. 
<coughs> terrible crimes are committed, whether it be sexual crimes or physical beating crimes that are committed on people, with all that that's going on, the threat of war, the bombings, oh my, all that's taking place, do you think it really matters to God whether or not I smoke a cigarette or a joint or take a CBD pill? Do you think it really matters to God, even though God has said a bunch of things about drinking alcohol, do you think it really matters to God whether or not I take a drink? With all that's going on in the world, I mean, after all, there's a lot of big stuff that's happening in the world. Do you think it really matters to God? Do you think it really matters to God whether or not I watch a soap opera? Do you think it really matters to God whether or not you look at a pornographic website? I mean, with all that's going on in the world, look how much God's got to deal with. All the problems that mankind has. That God's really concerned about whether or not you look at a pornographic website. Now, let me just say, for people who think, no, I don't think it matters to God, you've got a very small God. God has exalted his word above his name. So the question would be, does it really matter to God with all that's going on, what you look at or what you do or where you go or what you wear or what you listen to? Is it even possible with all that's going on that God is concerned about those daily things in your life? I did not ask the question, does it matter to you? I asked the question, does it matter to God? Because the Bible says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We are going to stand him one, before him one day, and we better find out whether or not these things are important to him. As a believer, I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in this body, whether they be good or bad. I believe I need to find out whether or not it matters. Now, let me give you the short version of the message. I would say that that depends on who God is. Who is God? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 he lets us know, he says, I, even I, am the Lord. He is God. And I didn't quote that verse correctly, so I'm going to turn over to it to make sure I say it right. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. After all, we want to say these things right. I got pages sticking together here. So I'll get to it soon. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In Isaiah 43, verses 10 and 11, Hear my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior He's it. 
He is creator in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, 1 through 3, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He is creator of everything. You understand that we are not the center of the universe. God is. He's over everything by the right of creation. And He is sovereign. He is sovereign over it all. And we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For those of us who are saved, the lost are going to appear before the great white throne judgment. So then everyone should give account of themselves. He is sovereign. We're going to answer to him. God does not answer to us. God has explained a number of things to us in the scripture. And it's amazing how many things that he explains to us and we still don't get it. But he tells us in the book of Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts and your thoughts, his ways are right. Always right. Ours are always tainted. That has to do with our sinful nature, of course, as well. Not only is he creator and he is sovereign, but he is holy. Psalm 99 and verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Isaiah 6.3, we find the angels flying in the presence of God. And the cry on their lips is holy, holy, holy. And you go 800 years down through time till you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and verse 8. And guess what? The cry on their lips is still, holy, holy, holy. It is not love, love, love. It is always holy, holy, holy. As a matter of fact, you cannot possibly understand the love of God until you understand that he's holy. I mean, really, a lot of these false preachers that are out there have given a sickly Hollywood idea of the word love so that people don't even understand what it means when they read God is love. Because his love and his holiness go together. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Luke 137. He's omnipotent. He is immutable. Man, there's a big word. Immutable simply means that God does not change. The very nature of God, he does not change. As a matter of fact, he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. And since Jesus is God, guess what? He doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He is always the same. I'm so glad that God doesn't change. If he changed, then we couldn't be sure in 2023 that the way of salvation is still the same. But because he doesn't change, all of his promises still good today. He's not changed his mind on any of them. Hallelujah. Not only that, he is omniscient. That means he knows everything. You know, we've got some pretty powerful computers out there today. 
<laughs> yeah, just turn the plug off and they're dead. God knows more than all the computers put together. As a matter of fact, you can't even compare what the computers know with what God knows. He is God. There's not a word in my mouth, but thou, O Lord, knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. He knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you'd like to say to me right now. I don't. And I'm glad I'd never get through this message if I knew. Several times, for instance, in the book of Leviticus chapter 18, he gives a number of commands about things that his people were not to do. And he says over and over again in that passage, he says, for I am the Lord. Why, when we read the commands of God, why is, are they important? They're important because of who gave them. They are from the Lord. You know, it's kind of like in a family where you've got a bunch of children. And here the older brother or the older sister, whatever the case may be, will tell the younger siblings, and now you go do this. Why? Well, if that older brother says or older sister says, because I said so, doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. But if they say, because daddy said so, you better do it. You better do it because who said so? Well, guess what? God said so. And it doesn't get any higher than that. It's almost as if God anticipated the question why, because that we're good at that. Well, why should I have to do that? God said so, that's enough. So whether or not these things matter, number one, is determined by who God is. He's God. Number two, and I want you to get this, and, and if you've been here any length of time at all, I've gone through a number of these. I may cover them, a couple of them that you hadn't heard before, uh, but they're in the Scripture. We need to understand how God looks at His Word. Because if we find in the Bible that God's people could disobey His Word and it didn't matter to Him, then I guess we could look at His Word the same way. But how does God look at his word? So let's see if we can get an idea from this. Uh, go over to Numbers 15. I always like to start with this one. Maybe I should use this one last of all. I don't know. But Numbers chapter 15. God has already given them the Ten Commandments. They were not to do any work on the Sabbath day. And you'll notice in Numbers chapter 15, verse 32... He says, and while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. Now, what was he doing on the Sabbath day? He's gathering sticks. He was not building a house. He was not building a shed. He was gathering sticks. Did you notice that the scripture does not tell us why he was gathering sticks? We don't know if he's picking up sticks simply. Maybe he got tired of tripping over the sticks in his yard. But on the day that God told them not to work, he was out gathering sticks. 
It says, And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation, and they put him in ward, that's kind of a holding cell, because it was not declared what should be done to him. God told them not to work on the Sabbath day, but he didn't tell them what was to be done if somebody did it. And so they bring the man to Moses to find out, okay, we found this guy working on the Sabbath day, gathering sticks. What should be done? Moses does correctly. He goes to the Lord. And notice it says in verse 35, And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. Who said that? The Lord said that. But I thought he was love. He is love. This doesn't change the fact that he's love. See, most people think that if you're going to love like God loves, then you're going to let him off. God doesn't let him off. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say, the man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, remember, these people had been slaves for a long time. And now here they are headed toward the land that God has prepared for them. And one of the things that he's going to tell them in the book of Deuteronomy over and over again that they were to have a heart where they wanted to obey him. Here's a man who has openly, publicly, because the people saw him, here's a man openly disobeying God. You say, but it's a small matter. It sticks. He wasn't breaking into people's tents and robbing them. He didn't steal their car. He's picking up sticks, as far as we know, in his own yard. On the Sabbath day. And God said, put him to death. What do you think God might have been teaching his people? His word's important. He's to be obeyed. He's to be obeyed. Had he let this man off, what would all the people said then? It's not important whether or not you obey God. God doesn't really mean what he says. It's not a big deal. He's trying to teach his people to obey him because to obey him is the very best thing for every one of us in every area of our life. All right, so I'll just tell you the story. You know the story of Achan. When they take the city of Jericho, Achan goes into one of the houses along the wall and he sees in there goodly Babylonian garment. He sees some, uh, a wedge of gold. He sees some silver and he takes it. Now, God had told Israel before they ever came into the promised land that the first city that they took, all the spoil was to go to God. They would get spoil out of all the other cities they would take, but the very first city they would take, they were not to touch any of it except to bring it in, to pile it up, and to burn it all. Achan goes into that house. He's out there fighting like everybody else. And he goes into a house... And he sees the garments, he sees the silver, he sees the gold. And he probably scooped it up, hid it under his whatever he had on. 
And he went back to his tent and he buried it in his tent. Now remember, God had fit for destruction all the spoil of the city. So this stuff was supposed to be burned up and he's keeping it. So the next day they go out to battle. They go against Ai. God is not with them. And he's not with them because somebody had taken of what they call the accursed thing. That is, that which God had fit for destruction, they had kept. Now it was only Achan. Nobody else in the camp kept it. In that battle with God not with them, 36 Israelite men die. We don't know how many orphans that meant live now. People who had their daddies died in the battle because God's power is not with them because Israel has the accursed thing. So they come back defeated. Oh, they're discouraged. They're defeated. Matter of fact, Joshua's upset. He complains to God. And God says, get up off the ground. Taken of the accursed thing. So they had to find out who it was. When they found out it was Achan, God says, take him without the camp. Stone him. Stone his wife. Stone his children. Stone his donkeys. Stone his, stone his camels. Take all that he has and stone him in the valley. The God of love commanded them to do that. And I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm not saying it facetiously. He is a God of love. He just caused the death of 36 people. I'll bet he didn't think about that when he took the garments. And most people when they sin don't think about the damage that they do. Most people when they talk rebellion to some teen, here's a teenager rebellion, yeah, your parents are too strict. And they, because they're not going to have to live with the consequences of their actions. That person they're talking to is going to have to live with the consequences. I just, I'd like for some of these people to finally one day realize the damage that they've done by giving very careless counsel to other people. Anyway, so Achan's dead. Can you imagine what Achan was thinking as stones were being hurled his way and he saw his children hit with those stones? Saw his wife crumpled to the ground with those stones. It was his fault. It wasn't God's fault. It was his fault. God meant what he said. And again, he's teaching Israel, you're going to be in the land. God means what he says. You have a story in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 13. The nation's been divided into two kingdoms. Jeroboam is the king of the northern kingdom. And Rehoboam is the king of the southern kingdom. The first thing Jeroboam does is he builds an altar. Because he didn't want the people in the northern kingdom running down to Jerusalem to do their sacrifices. And he makes the lowest of the people, not the Levites, he makes the lowest of the people the priest. And so God sends a man up to that altar that Jeroboam has built. And he tells the prophet, doesn't give us his name, just calls him a man of God. He tells him to go up and to preach God's judgment on the altar. And when you're done preaching, turn around, come straight home. Don't stop to eat with anybody. You come straight back home. Well, he pronounces judgment on the altar. And you remember that Jeroboam, the king, reaches out to take him. And God shrivels up his arm. 
And he pleads with that man of God to pray for him. And he does. And his arm is extended again whole. And then the man of God turns to leave. Now the king says, come and eat. He says, I can't do it. God's told me to go back home. But there was an old prophet in the area. When his sons who had been in the city saw what had taken place, they went home and told them there was a man of God that came in, pronounced judgment on the altar. And he said, go to them, go to that man and tell him to come and eat at our house. He wanted the man of God to come over for a meal. When they told the man of God, he says, I can't do it. God told me to go back home. And the old man, that old prophet lied. He said, God told me to tell you it's all right to come to my house. Listen, somebody tells you you can disobey God, don't you believe him. You run from him as fast as you can. He goes home and he eats with the old prophet. And then God speaks to the old prophet because you didn't obey me. A lion's going to meet you in the way and kill you. And your donkey's going to be sitting by your side, okay. And the lion's going to be laying down beside you. And you'll be dead. Because you didn't obey me. Ow. And that's exactly what happened. And people walk by and say, yeah, that's the prophet. Didn't obey God. He was faithful in delivering the message, but he didn't obey God. The point is this, folks. How does God look at his word? I believe as much as we love to have fun, having fun is okay But folks, when it comes to God's word, I believe he means every bit of it. Well, why do you preach against this? And why do you preach on that? Because God has said something about it, that's why. And God means it. Do you realize the children of Israel lost the promised land because they didn't take God at his word? We want the blessings of God without obedience. Well, we're not the first generation to be like that. The children of Israel wanted the blessings of God without obedience. And you don't get that. It's not going to happen. We're to take God's word seriously. Of course, one of the most famous ones that I often use is the one with Uzzah. Here, David's bringing the cart back, but we had, who was it that referred to that during the meeting this last week? So I don't need to cover that again. But I still, every time I read that story of Uzzah walking at the side of the cart where the ark of God sits, and they're bringing that ark of God up to Jerusalem, they're not doing it the way God told them to do it. God told them that the priests were to run the poles through the corner, those rings in the corner of the ark, and they were to hoist it up on their shoulders. None of them were to touch the ark. God had told them they that touch it would die. And here's Uzzah. He's walking beside the cart. This is not the way it's supposed to be done. And one of the oxen stumble. And when the oxen stumbles, the ark begins to shake. Now, you understand, we're not talking about Noah's ark. You understand that? I, I, mean, I, actually, I actually had somebody ask me one day, how did they get that big ark on a cart? That's not the ark that was on the cart. All right? And, and he stumbles. And I believe that had I been there with Uzzah, I probably would have done the same thing. Man, they were having a service, man. They were shouting. David's dancing. 
They're having a great time until Uzzah reached up to steady the ark so it wouldn't fall into the dust and God killed him. You see, God has to keep his word. He's God. God said he would do that if they touched the ark. There is, I wish everybody would get this. It would make all of our lives so much simpler if we understood this. There is no good reason to disobey God. No matter how we try to justify our disobedience. Does it matter to God? And we could cover a number of other things. Well, then someone will speak up right away and say, but whose life? It's my life. Oh, wait a minute. The Bible says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. Now get this. And ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you're saved, you don't belong to yourself. He bought you. Therefore, we ought to obey him. So does it really matter? Well, I think it gets down to this. Does it really matter when we start asking questions like that? The answer would be, has God said anything about it? For instance, does it matter whether or not we witness? Does it really matter? I mean, I know Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why are we to witness? Because he said so. Because he said so. I've heard people say they've done statistics. Do you know only 2% of the converts that we have are ever won on personal, by personal soul winning? It doesn't matter what percent. God said to do it. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we preach to every creature. You have people out there, especially religious people. It's amazing how a lot of these religious people, you knock on their door and say, do you know if you die tonight, you go to heaven? Well, that's very personal. I don't think you ought to go around trying to tell people your faith. Well, I, I can respect the fact that they believe people shouldn't do it, but my master, my commander, my savior, my king has told us to do it. And I've got to take his word over theirs. I don't care how wrong it seems to them. My God said, do it, therefore we do it. And by the way, if they get saved, they'll appreciate the fact that we're doing it. Well, all right, for a saved person, does it really matter whether or not he gets baptized? Well, did God say anything about it? Yes, Jesus said to the disciples, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, do it. There's nobody in the New Testament that got saved that ever refused to be baptized. Jesus said to do it. That ought to be enough for anybody. You do it because Jesus said so. If he hadn't said anything about it, that'd be another matter. We don't get baptized in order to be saved. We get baptized because we are saved and we're not ashamed of him. He said to do it. Well, does it really matter what I look at? Well, let's see. Does God say anything about that? When he says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. He first says, put away from thee a froward mouth. And then he says that your eyes look right on. The psalmist says in Psalm 101 verse 3, uh, is it 103 in verse, I, it's up there. You read those three Psalms and, uh, and you'll get it. He says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. He says in the book of uh, Lamentations in 351, he says, mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of this city. 
Yes, because my eye affects my heart and God has spoken on that, things I'm not to look at. It does matter what I see. By the way, whether it be on the internet or on the TV, it matters to the God of heaven what I see. And that ought to be enough for me. Does it really matter what I wear? I mean, isn't that a small thing what you wear? I mean, really, why should it matter? Because God says a whole lot more about the clothes you wear than he talks about smoking. I believe smoking's wrong. Don't think you ought to be smoking. And I've got verses for it. But I tell you what, he says an awful lot more about clothes. And not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. He says a lot about clothes. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he tells the women about being... And by the way, that chapter is basically about prayer. But you want to be answered, you want to have your prayers answered? Then all right, you need to dress modestly with shamefacedness and sobriety and not with broided hair, gold or pearls or costly array. I didn't say it, God said it. He tells the ladies that with their clothing... In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he says that your clothing is to show the hidden man of the heart. Ought to be able, when you see a Christian lady, to say, I'll bet that's a Christian lady. Before you ever know whether or not she's saved, she ought to be dressed so modestly that you say, she looks like a Christian. You understand? It makes a difference what you look like. So dress to show Christ in your life. I know, and I didn't even cover Deuteronomy 22.5. I'm not even going to mention it tonight. Somebody thinks that's my life verse, but it's not. (laughs) The point is, if God says anything about it, then it's important. And it ought to be important to us because God said something about it. It's important to him because it's his word. It's who he is. We're not here to explain it away. We're here. We love the Lord. We ought to want to obey him. Yes, things do matter. And yes, the little things, the things that we think are little, they matter. If God mentions them, they matter. And that ought to be enough for every one of us. We've just gone through a week of 12 messages in six nights. Two preachers a night for six nights. We've heard a lot of the word of God. A lot of decisions have been made. But it still gets down to God's book and us. He didn't write this as a suggestion. He has given us his truth. And we honor him when we follow his truth. Father... Thank you for what you've given us tonight. Deal with our hearts, I pray. If there's one here without Christ as Savior, may they understand the truth of your word. When Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Lord, it is so plain. You must be born again. Dear Father, I pray for any here without Christ, they'd come to Jesus tonight and be saved. I pray for believers tonight as we read through the book. May we read with a desire to want to please our Heavenly Father and walk in obedience to His Word. Have your way in our lives tonight. In Jesus' Jesus name I ask it.